knowing that the things that you reported on were factual, why did she feel the need to deny all of these claims publicly and, and really make a big dispute about this, do you think? That's honestly a question that's been on my mind a lot. <laughs> God bless everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast, where we talk faith, culture, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Today, I have on a minor celebrity. He's in a little bit of legal trouble right now. Same's Joseph Durrell. He is a junior at Notre Dame University and the editor-in-chief of the Irish Rover, which is facing uh, a defamation suit. And we thought the best way to hear the story is go right to the source. So, Joseph, wel- welcome on the show. Thank you for having me. I've already kind of made a few jokes, but welcome to the big leagues. I know that... Uh, <laughs> Journalism is almost a little bit of a badge of honor to get a defamation suit going on. So um, can you take me to the beginning? What is this suit? Where did it start? What is it surrounding around? Yeah, for sure. So I guess this story really goes back to, well, last summer when Roe v. Wade was about to be overturned, there were a couple of Notre Dame professors who began writing op-eds in various publications uh, arguing that it's a bad thing Roe v. Wade's being overturned and the legal restrictions on abortion shouldn't happen, just kind of a standard liberal perspective on the issue. Um, But then it really came to a head when Indiana in September uh, passed a law that was ban abortion statewide. Now, law only stood on the books for seven days before a judicial appeal, but when it came out that the law was going to be signed, this professor... Tamara Kay began posting messages on social media, and she put a sign on her door that we're advertising um, ways to access abortion pills and abortifacients and such things. Um, yes, yeah, so that was brought to my attention actually by a professor of mine who noticed it, and he asked if I would look into it for the rover. So I just did a basic reporting piece Uh yeah, just saying, here's what she tweeted about, where she said, like, if you need help with access and to abortionfinder.com and all these different sites where you could get abortion pills by mail. Um, so I just did a reporting piece, interviewed her to get any sort of context or any issues surrounding the matter. And I thought that was kind of said and done. Um, but then the the story kind of blew up last October. Uh, so it was republished in maybe a dozen different national publications. And she began walking back on some of the claims she had made. She initially claimed that I hadn't interviewed her at all, uh, which was odd since I had a recording of the interview. So I was able to <laughs> to quickly say, like, no, I have a recording. I can prove yeah. that I interviewed you. Could we actually jump into that really quick? Yeah. Because the she ran to The Cut, and The Cut is a, a liberal publication. Yeah. I mean, very liberal publication. And so she claimed that you approached her at a panel and that you it wasn't immediately clear you were interviewing. Uh, how, from your perspective, how did that interview go with professor? Yeah. So when I came up to her, yeah, I introduced myself. I would for any interview, like, hi, I'm Jed Arell. I'm with the Irish Rover. I have a few questions for you. Like there wasn't any sort of difference, uh, between that interview and any other interview I've connected. So, or I've conducted. So I just came up to her after an event that she was speaking at and we had actually like a very good conversation for 20 minutes. Like we walked away, uh, I felt like if still like strongly disagreeing, obviously with her position, at least like understanding where she was coming from. And I thought I had like interesting context to bring into the article. So I didn't imagine that there would be any issue with it until two days later after I published the article, she 
So at first she tweeted out explicitly, she said, like, quote, there is absolutely no interview. But then after I told, yeah, I, I told the cut reporter, like, when she asked me about it, I was interviewed for that piece. And I told her, no, I have a recording of the interview. So then when the article actually came out, she was like, well, I remember that he talked with me, uh, but I didn't know he was interviewing me. Um, but even that doesn't make any sense because, like, I began it like any other interview. I gave my publication affiliation and everything. So uh, question then from that, I, knowing that the recording was there, knowing that the things that you reported on were factual, why did she feel the need to deny all of these claims publicly and, and really make a big dispute about this, do you think? That's honestly a question that's been on my mind a lot. Um, I've been asked that by many people, and I'm honestly still confused about it because in my eyes, all that I did was took her advocacy that was trying to reach one portion of the population and moved it and put it in the light of kind of a pro-life portion of the Notre Dame population and then of the country at large. So it, really, it just seemed that there's a difference in audience between my message and her message. Um, so I guess that other than the fact that she got blowback for it now because people who disagreed with her were hearing about what she was doing, I was honestly kind of confused what she was walking back on or why she was walking back on it. Yeah. And if I could ask too, that it's not just disagreeing with some of the student population or the Catholic perspective, it's disagreeing with Notre Dame's explicit policy on the sanctity of life as well. So before you did this article, did you kind of know already, okay, this person is pretty publicly at odds with Notre Dame policy? Uh, is she a well-known professor on campus for advocacy for that kind of thing? She wasn't until... Um... Yeah, the summer of yeah, when Dobbs was when Dobbs was passed, Roe was overruled. That was kind of the first time at Notre Dame that she started speaking out publicly against abortion restrictions and in favor of abortion access, to my knowledge at least. Um I think she had in the past and other jobs, but Notre Dame her focus is actually on trade policy and she was in yeah, the Global Affairs School and abortion really hadn't been a topic of her yeah, public presence until that summer. That makes sense. And and what I was going to ask then too is uh, she said that there was a lot of blowback. I read in some articles she said she received some harassment, some threats, uh, which Notre Dame is somewhat disputed. Some of her claims about not providing protection to her or listening to her. Another question that I had for you is because that cut article did name you by name and then also your publication. Have you guys received any threats or public harassment based on that article? We have not, no. So, and I've gotten a ton of emails and Twitter replies and all of that with regard to this whole situation. But I'd say the 99% of it has been very positive. And it's a lot of Notre Dame parents or students or alums who are, yeah, thanking me for being at Notre Dame and reporting on these issues. So really, yeah, I guess that it maybe hasn't, like, it's it maybe the message has mostly been spread to the portion of the population that already agrees with me, but I really haven't faced any sort of blowback for it other than, well, the lawsuit itself. Well, right. And so so here comes this lawsuit, right? So did you know, did you have any contact with her after that panel, after the piece dropped, or was it straight to the attorney? I did not have any contact with her. Um, yeah, one of our reporters for the Brover covered uh, an event in March where she was, where Professor Kay was giving a talk to the Notre Dame College Democrats, but there was no interview associated with that piece. It was just a report on the event itself. And 
Yeah, I had not heard from her. I had tried emailing her once after the article, but I just got like an automatic bounce back reply. Um, so yeah, I had actually heard rumors and was asked by a bunch of people who were involved kind of tangentially whether or not we were getting sued kind of through the whole course of the spring semester. And I kept telling them, no, I haven't heard anything. No, I don't think she is. And it seemed like she was gathering up steam for some sort of lawsuit because she started a, or someone started a GoFundMe page on her behalf for legal support. And so that made me a little bit nervous. Like, is there a lawsuit coming? <laughs> but it's like, no, maybe it's against the university for some reason. I was, yeah, I was honestly had no thought that the lawsuit was going to occur until the Cut article said that she was contemplating legal action against the rover. Um, and it was actually the same day as the Cut article that she sent out the, or her lawyer sent out the letter of intent to sue. Right. And and talking to you, it's it's immediately clear you understand journalistic practices. I know you've interned at some pretty impressive places we were talking about earlier. So for those that don't understand, um, you're receiving this lawsuit. How do you plan on responding to the lawsuit through, you know, the journalistic process, the legal process? Yeah. So we are, we have a legal team that's generously representing us pro bono. So they're filing on our behalf an anti-slap motion, which is basically uh, anti-slap laws are established uh, specifically to support freedom of press. So it's to get lawsuits dismissed before they that are filed that don't seem to have any merit um, so that you don't have to deal with them for months and deal with trial and legal fees and all of that. Um, so, yeah, we feel pretty good about uh, that motion and it'll be filed in the coming days, probably. Um, and I think the judge has a significant amount of time to review it. So we'll know in the coming months whether or not there actually will be a trial date for this lawsuit or if it'll just get tossed out. Um, because, yeah, like I said earlier, like there isn't, yeah, in the lawsuit, more than anything confuses me. And I don't really, like I've looked at it in every angle. And yeah, it gets caused a lot of introspection thinking about like, okay, my practices, what did I do? What did I say? And I've like re-examined every statement. And I really can't find any way that the lawsuit could be decided other than in favor of the rover. Right. And I hope now that we've kind of laid out all the details here, I want to hear a little bit more about your time as a student and why you got involved with the rover. So I guess first things first, why, how'd you get your start with the rover and why did you feel the need to get involved in student journalism? Yeah, so I was a freshman at Notre Dame in the 2020-2021 academic year, which is where most universities were online, remote. Fortunately, Notre Dame, we were in person for most of our classes and on campus, but there still is pretty heavy restrictions on all sort of social activities. And yeah, in most clubs weren't operating. So I just happened to meet one of the former editor-in-chiefs of the Rover, the guy, Nick Abushtid, Um And we got to talking. I was like, well, I like writing. Seems like a great guy that I want to get to know. And it sounds like there's a great community of people surrounding this newspaper, so I'll happily get involved. Um, so more started my freshman year. Like I didn't have a real intention of doing anything journalistically. Um, but it started just because I wanted like a good community, a faithful Catholic uh students that I could interact with and work with. Um, so I started doing that, uh, and I just absolutely fell in love with kind of the journalistic process, the finding stories, following leads, uh, 
And so, yeah, I just kind of really dove in and wrote for every issue of the Rover or almost every issue my freshman year. Uh, so that then I, I was asked to help run it my sophomore year and then was appointed editor-in-chief for my junior year. Congratulations. Uh, do you have a favorite story that you covered during your time writing for the Rover? Hmm. That's a good question. A favorite story. One of the favorite pieces I did was right away, kind of like second or third week of, or second or third issue of the semester, I was able to cover the story of Amy Coney Barrett's appointment to the Supreme Court because she was a, a Notre Dame professor before this, a uh, Notre Dame alumna, and her children go to the school, so it's just like very much a part of the Notre Dame community. So that was a very, that was a very exciting moment uh, for campus as a whole, so I was really happy that I got to be the one that could cover that story. That was a fun time. Yeah. Uh, just especially well, being Catholic too, it's kind of yeah. like seeing uh, a mother, super impressive intellect. Her performance during the uh, judicial hearing was so absolutely. It was just such a time to be. I don't know how to describe it. Like when she held up the the notepad, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, man!" Just like good representation all around. Um, so I also want to ask you too. I think why this story is kind of resonating nationally now. Obviously, like we're kind of talking about, it, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. It seems kind of confusing. But I think more at the core of it is that people are kind of concerned with uh, what they see about Notre Dame uh, nationally and that Notre Dame is somehow, you know, losing its Catholic identity or it's not living up to the to magisterium teachings of the church. Um, what would you have to say to someone on the outside who maybe sees some of these stories? Has Notre Dame retained its Catholic identity or is it somewhat splintered? Yeah, so I would say that Notre Dame definitely is a very interesting case study because it's one of maybe one of the only, if not the only, like elite Catholic university, like highly ranked, prestigious uh, Catholic universities that still there's an argument to be made for its Catholic identity. Like we've seen Georgetown, Xavier, all these other universities that have, yeah, it's not even really a conversation whether or not they're still Catholic. Um, but what I would say about Notre Dame in particular is there's really two sides of it. There's kind of like the public facing what you see from the outside and then the experience on the inside. Um, I'd say public facing parts of the university, kind of their PR, the image they try and create, it definitely waters down kind of the lived reality. I mean, I don't know any other place that you could go to school and have a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament in every dorm, multiple priests in most dorms, um, and I think that like every option for a Catholic student uh, the, that a Catholic student could want is present at Notre Dame. Um, like I think that there's enough faithful professors and students that you can spend all four years taking just absolutely phenomenal classes. And, and I've absolutely loved my time there. And I feel a little bit bad sometimes that my work for the Rover blows up all these negative stories. And I wish that I wish that some of the positive <laughs> stories I would write would get just as much attention because, yeah, I, I write equally about as yeah the good things that are happening on campus. So I went to the Rover and there's a whole campus section and I actually found myself kind of chuckling. There's there's a humor section as well. And um, I think this might be a good opportunity too, now that this story has been kind of put on people's radar, for p people to get a little exposure to the Rover. Uh, how do you hope to capitalize on maybe some more eyes to maybe project maybe a more positive view of Notre Dame and the Catholic yeah, community Yeah, so, there. I mean, I think that, yeah, like I kind of mentioned just a second ago that, yeah, the rover tries to cover the full range of issues touching on the Catholic identity of Notre Dame. 
And I would say that the majority of the stories we write are about very positive things that are happening. The Eucharistic procession, the fact that there are dozens of students and even many professors that are entering the church every year at the Easter vigil. Um, and yeah, they, the Catholic life in Notre Dame is definitely alive and well. So I think that as maybe there's a little bit more of the public eye turned on us, uh, turned on us at the Rover during the next year, we just need to make sure that even if it's the 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 negative doomer type stories that are going to get all the clicks, uh, <laughs> yeah, to remember that yeah, it's the the clicks don't mean anything if you're not presenting an accurate picture of Notre Dame, and I think that the accurate picture has an incredibly faithful Catholic uh, view of it. Yeah, and Joe, I, I have to say, after this badge of honor defamation suit, and you've had a lot of great experience here uh, doing journalism for the Rover, do you have any lessons that you've taken from your time writing for the Rover or even this defamation lawsuit that you're going to take with you going forward into your future Yeah, numbers? I would say the biggest thing is I'm very glad that I kept all of my receipts from everything I wrote. It's definitely <laughs> made me a much more careful writer. Uh just in that, like, yeah, obviously I'm always careful that everything I say is true, but now I've even more emphasized that, yeah, keep all the things that can prove that what you say is true. Uh, so that's been, I guess, the biggest practical thing. Um, but also, I'd say, yeah, my time at the Rover really has reemphasized uh, kind of the power of just speaking the truth and not worrying about what other people are going to think and say about it. I think that a lot of students are scared to write about their deeply held beliefs, even if they think they're true. Um, yeah, like they aren't going to put forward like a defense of Catholic principles or Catholic doctrine or whatever else they're, they're holding on to because they are worried that it'll hurt their future career. They're worried that they'll get blowback and pushback. Um, but I guess I can't really speak to future career yet. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've definitely found it. Uh, I've definitely found like it just very fulfilling and very gratifying to kind of set aside fears of what other people are thinking and just be fully committed to, yeah, presenting the truth as it comes to you. Yeah. And that's such a good point. And I think about this a lot, even doing this show. Um, people have kind of come to me and been like, Tom, aren't you concerned that you expressing these beliefs are going to hurt your career employment mm -hmm. in the future or something like that? And first off, you know, I'm, I'm very happy here, but the reason why I'm even here talking to you today is because I express my deeply held beliefs. And in a way, you almost kind of um, self-select out places you probably wouldn't want to work or wouldn't be welcome in anyway by just expressing your... So in a way, you kind of signal to other organizations that... Uh, you know, you believe this way and, and you live based on these principles. And if they're not okay with that, then you probably wouldn't want to be there with them anyway. So um, what are you, I, I want to direct people towards what you're doing now. I know you said you were working with Compact and uh, it's a fantastic publication. I like it a lot myself. Yeah. So I've been mostly doing like editing behind the scenes type stuff. Um, yeah, I'll definitely be writing at least a little bit, uh, but I haven't solidified what my my summer column uh topic is going to be uh so it's mostly been like yeah newsletter editing articles uh and kind of yeah managing what goes into the backside of a publication which it's yeah it's very similar i did i worked for first things magazine last summer and i was 
editing their podcast and uh, editing articles and that type of thing. Editors don't get enough, do not get enough credit, man. When when I heard that, I was like, first, you got to drop that because we definitely have some first things fans in the audience for sure. But editors, man, they just don't get enough credit. So is this is this your first time being on camera or have you done other on camera stuff before? No, it's the first time I've been on the the camera side of the of the podcast or any other thing. Yeah, I think you know. I mean I think you've done very well. I think you should probably keep doing more. Would be my recommendation. Get yourself out <laughs> there. Um, so Joe, Thank you. plans in the future and or ways that people can support your work right now. Yeah, I would say that. Well, if definitely anyone interested in Notre Dame or getting a pulse of American Catholicism, please look at the Irish Rover. I think that. I'm actually passing on my editorship. It's typically just a one-year position. Uh, but the guy who's taking my place next year, Nika Schmitz, is going to do just as great a job. Um, so anyone who's interested in that, please check out the Irish Rover's website. Um, as far as my future plans go, uh, yeah, I guess it's all to be determined. <laughs> likely something likely something in the media journalism type world. Yeah. Uh, but I guess next year's goal is to figure that out. Yeah, well, out. I think you got a you got a hot start so far with the defamation badge you're wearing right now, and um, <laughs> we will keep you we will keep you all posted on the results of this. Uh, we included it in the loop, our newsletter. Go check that out as well. Uh, congrats on uh, top story. It's like stuff you wish you wouldn't have to talk about, but we're here and it's happening, so you got to talk about it. So we got to address the truth. Yeah, but absolutely, Joe. Thank you so much for joining, and uh, good luck with the future endeavors. 